title of the sermon today uh, will come up here. I needed to remember what it was. Yes, get out of your grave clothes. How many of you remember when Jesus tells the, or, or not Jesus, he's part of the story. He actually makes the statement I'm going to use. One of my favorite accounts is the resurrection of Lazarus. Just because it's such a human story. One of my, that, that's some of my favorite history. Um, because I can, I can see myself in, in all of those characters just about. You know, and how different were Mary and Martha, right? Some of you are Mary, some of you are Martha's, some of you are Lazarus, you know, chilling out in a cool grave somewhere. But do you remember the whole, the whole deal? It comes forward, Jesus weeps, shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. There's so much controversy over that. doesn't need to be controversy. The fact is he's, he's touched. We have a high priest who's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. When it hurts you, what hurts him? Right? Beautiful. There's so much humanity in that story, in that history. And yet he gets to the grave. Gets to the grave. It's a tomb. There's a stone in front of it, just like the one he would eventually be in. And you remember the prayer he prays. Interesting prayer. And he basically says, I know, he says, he's talk, just talking to his dad. He says, I know you always hear me. But I'm saying this out loud for people that are listening. <laughs> right? And then, it, then he makes this command. And what does he say? He says, Lazarus, what? Come forth. Come forth. Now, there's a lot of debate about that, too. That the reason he said Lazarus, because if he didn't, everyone that ever died, you know, starting with Abel, would pop out of the grave. And that would be a big problem. So he specifically names him Lazarus. Come forth. What's the next thing that happens? So they move the stone away. He says, Lazarus, come forth. I don't know how that happened because they wrapped them in these strips of cloth, kind of like a mummy. That's what I'm thinking. I think, I think he either did that little, have you ever played that game when you were a kid and you do the race, the three-legged race? I, I think he probably did one of these coming out of the tomb because he's wrapped tight in all these. Plus, he's wearing 100 pounds of spices, which was their embalming fluid. And then Jesus gives this command. Yeah, he says, loose him and let him go. Why? Because he was no longer dead. He was what? Alive. Alive. And grave clothes are inappropriate for the living. Amen? And so when I looked at this text today, which I told Brother Tom, I've already shortened the sermon twice. You won't believe that by the time I get done, but I have. <laughs> I've shortened it twice. Um, I'm not even going to go all the way to verse 11 because there's so much rich teaching that is hardly addressed in the church today that I want to save that to where we can savor it together and dig down deep into the beauty of our, our co-crucifixion and resurrection with Christ and what it means so with all that being said, um, I want to encourage you to get out of your grave clothes. The clothing of the dead is inappropriate for those who are alive. And we were awakened with Christ as we learned a couple of weeks ago. You all remember that? So to remind you of where we have been, we're going we're gonna, to um, remember a little bit back. Last week, if you weren't here, be sure and pull up the audio. You can get that on um, iTunes or Podbean. Uh, we, we talked about uh, killing sin. And there were, were a list of sins starting in verse number 5 of chapter 3 that Paul said, you just need to kill those. 
And, and notice right there in verse 5, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth. And here are those members. Here's, here's what they are. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. I call that the filthy five. We had a very frank and honest discussion about human sexuality and God's plan for that and what's out of bounds and why it's out of bounds and why it's a bad idea. Go listen to it. Matter of fact, funny thing, tell you the back half of this, you know, Paul Harvey's rest of the story. I get home and my wife says to me, halfway through your sermon, Jack, six years old, leans over to me and says, Mom, why is Dad using so many bad words in this sermon today? <laughs> it wasn't bad words, but you go listen to the sermon, you'll understand it. This made me laugh. But we dealt honestly about it. And the reason we have such a problem with sexual sins in the church is because it's not addressed from the pulpit. It's kind of, oh, we don't talk about that. No, the very things we don't talk about are things we need to be talking about. And by the way, you men out there, you need to be looking in the eyes of your young men in your life. We got a thing. These, these young men right here, we got a thing that we talk all the time and then they know it. When they hear this question, how's your heart? They know what we're going to talk about. And they know we're going to get down to nitty gritty and we're going to talk about how you're doing, what you're looking at, what you're thinking. Let me help you shepherd, your, shepherd you through some of these times. I was, I was where you are. Right? we got to have honest, eyeball-to-eyeball, tough conversations with you. we got to start talking about this and calling it out. That's a father's responsibility. Call out your children. doesn't matter if they're 13 or 23. So, we talked about that last week. They, uh, Paul gives us some reasons in verse number 6. Here's why. Because the wrath of God's coming on the sons of disobedience. Indicating that people who do those lists of the filthy five there, they're the sons of disobedience. And, and the wrath of God is certainly coming for them. That's a pretty good motivation. And then he gives us a second motivation in verse number seven. Basically, that one is, that's not you anymore. Look at verse seven. In which you yourselves, look at this, tense, once walked, indicating you don't walk that way anymore, once walked when you lived in them. All of that, the whole entirety of that phrase is past tense. You don't live there. That's, you don't live like that anymore. You've, you've, you've changed. You've come out of that. So those first five, he says you need to, I loved what I said last week, you, you need to approach them with lethal intent. You need to kill them. Don't, don't leave them alive, not even a little bit. These next ones are different. He says, these you need to strip off. So we, as we're going through the encouragements and the empowerments and the admonitions or the commands, we see here that, that the empowerment is our death and resurrection with Christ. And each step of obedience empowers us more. And the first thing he tells us at the beginning of the chapter is seek the things above. Remember this? Seek, set, set not. Seek the things above and set your affections, your heart, your mind on Christ himself sitting at the right hand of the Father. Seek the kingdom. And don't set your love for things on earth which aren't going to last at all. You with me? Then he says last week, when we start doing that, seeking, setting, and setting not, it's going to give us the ability to slay sin, to cut out these filthy five out of our life and be honest about it. Now, today I want to talk about stripping off. 
We don't kill these sins. Why? Because the, the sins are already dead. These you strip off. And it's in verse number 8 is where we're going to pick it up. And it'll come up here on the screen. Look at verse 8. He says, But now, but now you yourselves are to put off all these. And here's his here's next list. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. And then he adds a sixth. Lists of five were very popular with Greek philosophers of Paul's day. But he adds a sixth one there, verse 9. Do not lie to one another. Since you have put off the old man with his deeds, verse 10, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So with that in mind, with the word, the, the picture, the historical picture of, of a bound Lazarus hopping out of the grave, wrapped in swaddling clothes, that's literally what they wrapped Jesus in, in grave clothes, and Jesus saying, loose him and let him go. Grave clothes are inappropriate for a living person. I want to talk to you today through the Apostle Paul about stripping off those grave clothes, getting out of your grave clothes. Why? Because as inappropriate as grave clothes are for the living, these sins of the heart and the mouth are just as inappropriate. They don't fit on a resurrected saint. So you ready for this? Let's dig, it. Let's dig into it. First of all, I want you to notice, I love these two little words, but now. But now. That's the first thing he says there. And I call that the shift. Here's the shift. These are all S's. Here's the shift. He's going to shift a gear here. So he just tells us those filthy five in, in verse five. And he says, and here's why you don't want to be associated with that. Here's why you need to put those to death. You need to execute them. Because if you don't, it's indicative of the fact that you never were in Christ, so the wrath of God's coming on you. And then number two, that's who you used to be. It's not who you are. Start li stop living according to the dictates of a dead man. Then he says, but now. Now he's shifting a gear. You see the transition, the feel there, the shift? He says, but now, that's a shift. Here's the subject. This is fascinating, too. But now, you yourselves. Isn't that interesting? So who's this? I, I call this the subject. Who's the subject of this verse? You. And then it says yourselves as plural. Literally, it's the second person plural, so it's y'all. See, Paul was a southerner. He said, y'all, or as we say in the salt, if, he, if, if we would have done this in the redneck version of the Bible, it would have said, all y'all. <laughs> All y'all are supposed to do this. You yourselves. It's the imperative. It's the command. We're supposed to do this. Isn't that interesting? We're the, it's my job. How many of you know there's some stuff that God can only do, and then there's stuff that because God's done what only God can do, there's some things that we're supposed to do. Amen? This is the list of the stuff that you're supposed to do. Same thing with the killing, the slaying of those, of those bodily sins. That's on you to do that. You need to appropriate the truth and your co-crucifixion and resurrection with Christ. 
So you're the ones. It's the imperative. And then I stuck up there the YBH. Yeah, but how? Yeah, but how? How do we do that? Well, let's look at what they are and see if we can't discover the how as we get in there. So we have the shift, the subject, and then we're going to spend most of our time today on the stripping off. The stripping off of these grave clothes. Look what he says there. For you, but now you yourselves are to put off, and notice this next word, how many of these? All. On that next screen. All of these things. You're supposed to, you're supposed to strip them off. These are the, the stripping off. You're to put off not just some of these, but what? All. All of these things in verse number 8. But now you yourselves are to put on all of these. It's an interesting word, this word put off. It literally means to, to strip off. And that's why I call it the stripping off. Um, the literal definition is to strip off and cast aside as a garment. To stop oneself being in a state or a condition. Isn't that interesting? We're supposed to strip this off like, like something that you're wearing. And we, and this is it. Remember, it's you yourself. We're supposed to stop ourselves from being in this state that he's going to describe. We were out uh, hunting. We do a lot of hunting in our family. And, and I think it was, was it Ben? No, it was Sam that somebody had a quota hunt for the hunting deer earlier in the season. It was in September. And... Um, we had gone hunting and, and took the other two boys, even though only one of them had the quota hunt. I think it was you, wasn't it, that had the quota hunt that year? Oh, it was Sam? Um, so we just took these guys hunting, and Jack came with us. And the reason Jack comes is Jack loves uh, to camp. And the reason he loves to camp is because he's young and ignorant and doesn't know any better. And he doesn't realize that camping is basically purposeful homelessness uh, and a bad idea. But we were all out camping together, and um, Ben found a little ways through the woods this, this pond, apparently full of fish. And my boys, for some reason, would rather fish than hunt. And so, of course, if, <laughs> is that on my preaching day? <laughs> ben, of course, brought his fishing stuff just in case. And uh, so they caught some crickets and stuff, and, and Jack said, can I go with them? Can I go with them? I said, yeah, but you guys watch Jack. So they go tearing off across this field, and, and Paul was there. He brought his little, little Paul, and we were sitting around talking, he and I. Well, all of a sudden, we hear this screaming. Like, my mom used to say, screaming bloody murder. You all know what that kind of scream is like? And you know when your kids, it's so funny, moms are better at this than dads. Uh, the kids will be playing outside, and, and one of them will be screaming, and I'll look at Elizabeth, she goes, that's not a hurt scream. That's a, I'm a mad scream. Even me, I knew, Paul and I both, didn't we know this was a hurt scream? And I mean like bad hurt. And, and it was hot out, so it was warm. And this place is known for rattlesnakes. And I was scared to death that Jack got struck by a rattlesnake. Thankfully, he didn't. But he got the next best thing. He stepped on a yellow jacket nest. Um, and it's not funny, but it was funny. Because he comes out of the... He and I are a field away. We're watching. Jack comes running out of these woods, and he's tearing off clothes, man. <laughs> he, 
his shoes were off. He ripped his shirt off. He pulled his pants off. I mean, he would run across the field in his drawers because those, those bees were all over him. And, and because they were in his clothes, what did he do? He did what any of us would do. He was getting those clothes off of him because the idea is if I can get the clothes off of me, I can get the bees off of me, right? And that's what he's saying here. That's what Paul is saying here. Get rid of these clothes, strip them off, cast them aside. How long did it take us to find his other shoe? Paul, thankfully, eventually found it right next to the yellow jacket. I still don't know how you got that shoe, but I give that man credit right there. He went in those woods, fished that shoe out of the yellow jacket nest, and got it back for Jack. But I had to, I had to literally threaten Jack with bodily harm in order to put those clothes back on because in his little six-year-old mind, he was sure that there was at least one bee still in one of those clothes. I said, brother, you cannot walk around in your underwear. It's just not appropriate out here in the hunting camp. You got to get dressed. He didn't want to do it. You know what? We ought to have Jack's attitude towards this list of sins we're fixing to look at. We ought to look at those sins and say, man, that's, that sin is infested with the stinging bees of death, and I don't want them anywhere near me or on my person. I'm not, I don't wear those clothes anymore. They go, they, get, they go in the fire and get burned up. So that's the stripping off. Let's look at the sins themselves. Let's look at the sins themselves. And there's going to be a list of these sins that are going to come up here on the screen. Here's, what, here's, a, here's the first one. It's a sin of anger. Anger. I think there's a screen for that, anger. Um, and we call that the operating system. This word anger is more of your attitude than an action. And I'm going to explain it uh, as, as we get going here. But I call this um, anger an attitude or the operating system. Now, what is anger? When I say anger, you think what? Getting mad? Getting upset? I think it was my mother-in-law that used to... Was that, Ben? My mother-in-law used to tell me, I was, when, when uh, my first year of marriage, and I was a youth pastor, and uh, for some reason, my mother-in-law and I would go out and get lunch on occasion, and I would, I would tell her about all the problems in the youth group, and I'd say, I'll tell you what, Mom, those kids make me so mad. And she would lean over the table, and she said, dogs get mad people get angry. <laughs> but I've known some people that are so angry, they act like a mad dog. Amen? Um, is there, um, so this anger, this word anger, this is, this is a, an internal attitude that kind of runs underneath the surface. Kevin's a computer guy. It's like an operating system, right? It's, it, that operating system on your computer is running underneath the surface. It's always there. And how many, of you, how many of you have ever known an angry person, like an angry man or angry woman? More men, I've met a few women that are angry women, but this, seems, this, this sin seems to be set men a lot as, more often, or we're just foolish enough to express it more often than our, our uh, kinder counterparts. But uh, this idea of this anger is something that is an attitude that runs underneath the surface. It's a chronic resentment and a, this, listen to this, a settled state of anger. It's the operating system. I know a lot of people today who are so angry and they're just looking 
They're just looking for an avenue to vent that anger. And it might not, and you might be the unlucky one to be the straw that breaks the camel's back. You ever been around people like that? Aren't they a joy to be around? And Paul's saying, strip off that anger. That doesn't belong to you. I like what this person said. He said, it is the working and fermenting of the mind, the demonstration of strong passion. It is the native character, disposition, and, and temper of the mind. It's your mindset. And what does Paul say earlier? He says, set your mind where? Things above, not on what? Things on the earth. Now he's saying, here's, some, here's something you need to strip right out. Now it's interesting. I don't know if you picked this up last week. I don't believe I said it in the sermon. But in that verse number five, those are all cumulative sins. In other words, they got an order to them. You got fornication, right? Which leads to uncleanness, which leads to lust, which leads to illicit passions, which, which leads to um, um, evil desire and then ultimately covetousness, which is idolatry. One leads into the other. These are the same. So you have this angry attitude. What does the Bible say? If you rescue an angry man, watch out. You're going to have to what? Do it again because they can't control their anger. Those are not people you want to be around. An angry man is a dangerous man. In fact, add one word to anger. Add a D to anger, and what do you get? Danger. Danger. So these are attitudinal sins, and one leads into the other. Look at the next one. It's up on the screen already. Wrath. Wrath. What's the difference between anger and wrath? Anger is what's underneath. Wrath is what comes out. Right? Now, even when you... Wrath is the blowing up, if you will. I call it the volcano of anger. <laughs> it's the lava that comes out of the caldera. Right? That blows up. Finds, a, finds an exit and boom. And aren't you the lucky one if, if you're the one that that stuff falls all over? And I see many, many a person will blow up and say, oh, I feel better. But their whole family's in shambles because of their anger. Their wrath. Uh, wrath is an acute explosion of anger. And I think that verse is up there, Ephesians 4, 31. Um, here's what Paul says. Same guy, he writes later. He says, let all bitterness. And by the way, what is bitterness? And I think this is where a lot of anger comes from. It's unforgiveness. Run amok. It's, it's refusing to forgive people. Let all bitterness, and notice the next word, what? Wrath and anger, clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Almost every one of those words is in our list. So this is anger that explodes in something called wrath. The word for wrath means the mind or the spirit that breathes out an intense passion of the mind. The mind or the spirit that breathes out an intense passion of the mind. It doesn't take much for some of us to lose our temper. I don't know about you. It'd be nice to lose it and never find it again. Wouldn't it? And that can happen. But I always seem to find mine. I don't know about you. I always seem to find mine again. We're not long-tempered. We're very short-tempered. And if we have a short fuse, it doesn't take long for us to blow. 
So I got a question for you. I want you to write this down. I know a lot of you are taking notes. What is it that makes you angrier than anything else? Write it down. What is it that just ticks you off and trips your trigger? Write that down. You know, we talked about it today in our D group. And I told the fellow, because I said, what we struggle with is someone's in anger. I said, well, I'm going to put a timeout right here. The sermon today is on anger, and it's not because of what you're going to say. <laughs> it's already planned. You can go look. My notes are on the pulpit. But why are we, what makes us mad? Someone tell me, what are some of the things that make us mad? Stupid. Say again. <laughs> Stupid stuff. Stupid stuff. Or people. <laughs> Stupid stuff or people? Stupid stuff or people? <laughs> yeah, bad driving. Bad driving is stupid stuff and people. Who said that? That's it, Wes. Not getting our way. Is that not the truth? Can we just be honest here? How many of you would agree that in one sense, if you just talk about the things that make you... Just, just the raft to blow up, what makes it come out. How much of that is just not getting your way? Anybody? Not the truth. You know what that is? That is a carving tool. You say, preacher, what in the world is a carving tool? Here, here's what a carving tool is. When we don't get our way, when, 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 when people don't, in essence, bow down and kiss our big toe and do exactly what we want, the way we want, when we want it, we blow up in anger, we scare them, we intimidate them by our fury, and then they run and do what we wanted them to do in the first place. And then we feel validated and powerful. You know what you are? You're sinful and you need to repent, not rejoice. One person. <laughs> it's the truth. We do it. We, we're, what, are, what are we carving? We're carving someone into an idol that meets every need we have. And when you, let me tell you something, husband, when you look to your wives to meet your needs, you set her up as an idol. And when she does something you don't like, you blow up in anger, you take out that sharp negative carving tool, and you carve that piece away. And if you do it right, you'll scare her so bad, she'll never touch that again. She's going to know. And then when she does something that, that you like, you take out the positive carving tool, which is, which, which is warm and fuzzy, and you, you carve on her with that, and you reinforce that behavior. At the end of the day, it's all idolatry. We're making an idol out of someone, and we're setting ourselves up to be God. We want the whole world to worship us. That's, at the end of the day, that's the issue. And the problem is what you idolize, you will eventually demonize because nobody can meet your needs other than God. And I'm going to tell you something. What will free you more than anything in your life, I promise you, when you stop looking to people to meet your needs and you start resting in God alone and God himself and you put those carving tools away and you put a lock on the toolbox and you forget where you left it and you don't ever go back to those things, I'm telling you something right now, your relationships will change overnight. Am I talking to somebody today? Man. So what, those things just make us so mad. 
So I blew it. I blew it just a couple days ago. It was Friday. Ben had a quota turkey hunt that he had won from the Georgia DNR just up the street. And it was close enough that we really didn't have to camp out. But um, if you camp out, you get to sleep about an extra 45 minutes, which is not a bad deal because you got to get up stupid early. There, there's your stupid things, uh, Chris, getting up early in the morning to chase a bird when I can go buy it for 49 cents at Kroger. <laughs> Already cleaned. Uh, so we go up there to go, we're getting our stuff together to go camping. And, and Ben, does it not happen every time we try to go somewhere, can't find stuff? And then what, what, what happens to me? Oh, you have to say it like that. <laughs> Ben's a, yeah, I did, I did this verse. I, I, I did the wrath thing. I mean, I blew up. He and Jack were going to go. And uh, like I said, Jack loves to camp. And couldn't find a pump to the air mattresses. I am too old to be completely homeless. I got to have an air mattress to lay on at night or I'm just not going to sleep. And I got the air mattresses, no pump. Then we found the pump and it was in three pieces and we only had two of the pieces. And it's the second pump I bought this year because we can't take care of things and put things back where they go. And so I just, that's a great, that's perfect, Ben. I blew up. I mean, and I blew, I I raffed all over Ben. I let him have it. I said, fine, we're not going. We'll just get up earlier on Friday, on Saturday morning and go. We're not camping. And then that, Jack runs his room and is wailing. And I'm just seething. I am just, oh, I'm so enraged. And, my, and I could tell I, I, Elizabeth's sitting over there. And I, I don't even want to look at her because I, I, I know what she's thinking. And then I finally turned to her and I, was, and I said, I looked at her and this thought hit me before I spoke it. And I promise you this did not come from me. And here's, here's, here's this thought that entered my mind. You're mad at them because you never trained them to take care of your stuff. So you're angry at them because they're not doing something you never trained them to do in the first place. And the weird thing is when that thought hit my mind, it sounded just like Elizabeth, but it wasn't her. <laughs> but it's true, it hit me. I'm angry with them for something I neglected to Dude, they neglected to put the stuff away. I've never really sat them down and showed them how to do that. And I didn't even do it yesterday. We got home from hunting and camping, and I said, okay, get everything out of the van, and I blew it again. So when we get back home, I'm going to show you how to put stuff away right. And I, I, I immediately, right there, I repented. I said, Lord, that's not, that's wearing grave clothes. That's not what I need to be wearing. And so I'm sure a little bit thought I was crazy. So I take a deep breath, and I stood up. I said, you guys come in here. And so they came back in. Jack's still crying. I said, I need to ask you guys to forgive me. I blew up. This is a dad problem. It's not so much a you problem. So go get everything that we have, and then we'll go to Walmart and get what we need. And we are going camping. And we did. And it was fun, wasn't it? Um, what was that? I raffed all over those boys. And you know, James says in James 1.20, oh, what a verse, the wrath of God worketh not, or the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. I got that memorized in the old King James. 
The wrath of man worketh not. How many of you have ever gotten mad and it's worked out really good and God's been pleased? And I know what you're going to say. You Pharisees out there are going to say, Oh, well, Pastor Paul, there's righteous indignation. Give me a break. I think the only person that's ever pulled off righteous indignation righteously is Jesus Christ himself. And I think if you want to be mad, be mad at one thing. Be mad at your own sin. You want to have a temper problem? You get mad at your own sin and you leave everybody else's alone. Wrath, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. And I'm going to tell you, I have proved that over and over again in my life. I'm ashamed to admit it. So whatever is on your list of things that makes you mad, I want to encourage you, go to your Bible and look up some key verses on anger. Start with James 1.20. The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness. And memorize those verses. Memorize them. Look at the next word. is malice. Malice is the desire to hurt others. This is badness and quality. It's the opposite of excellence. It's a vicious character. How many of you know someone who has a vicious character? This maliciousness. They're vicious people. They have a vicious character. And they're destroyers. And the sequence is anger becomes wrath. And look at it. And wrath becomes malice. Do you see this is a downhill slant here? Anger becomes wrath. Internal anger is expressed in wrath. And when you blow up all over everybody, it leads to this malice, to this vicious character. You know why it leads to malice? Because it works. You scare people into worshiping you. You, you scare people into doing exactly what you want, never doing that thing again. And I'm telling you what, it creates a vicious character. Man, I worked so good, I'm going to do it again and again. But here's the problem. That's not who we, that's who we were. It's not who we are. And we need to strip off those dead clothes, just like Jack stripped off his, his yellow jacket-laden clothes. He ripped them off without a care in the world and had no desire to ever put them back on again. That's how we need to be with these, these, these sins of the heart and the mouth. Then there's blasphemy. Blasphemy, which is another word for slander. It means to revile, to defame, to blaspheme. And they say that to blaspheme is when we slander God, and slander is when we talk against our fellow human beings. We blaspheme God and we slander each other. It means to speak ill of someone and to hurt their name and reputation. It means to speak against someone in such a way as to harm or injure his or her reputation. Boy, don't we do that? So think of it. Anger, I blow up. It works so good. I, I, I develop this vicious character. And then when people do me wrong, I destroy their character. I talk them down. It literally means to put a black mark. The, the Latin word for this in the Latin Vulgate literally means to put a black mark next to their name, to blacken their name. And what do we do? We go around talking people down that have done us wrong to make sure that not, not only do we not like them, nobody else is going to like them. Ever seen any of that? I've seen it in the church. I mean, I've been in business meetings when that stuff was happening. I've literally stood up in one and said, what are we, in fourth grade? We all need to grow up. This, is not what Christ, this is not, does not look anything like Christ. 
We don't walk around trying to blacken each other's name. We should be walking around trying to build each other up. But that's what malice, uh, uh, slander does. This malicious heart, this, this violent character gives way to the slander of our brother. Then the next one is filthy language. Look what it says in the word there in verse number 8. Um, filthy language out of your mouth. That's, that's another word for abusive speech. Some have said that this phrase might not only refer to that language, that filthy language, but actually to the entire list of sins in verse number 8. <clears throat> and if it does, then that entire list of sins is cataloged as sins of the mouth. How many of you know your mouth can get you in trouble? What does James say? Man, we could put bits in a horse's mouth and turn that big animal with a little bit of pressure on the rein. We put this tiny keel on this massive ship, and with just a little bit of a turn of the wheel, we can turn this massive ship around. He said, but you know what? Nobody, nobody can tame the tongue. How many of you know your mouth gets you in a lot of trouble? Again, James says, I think it's in verse 19, we should be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. God gave you two ears and one mouth. You should hear twice as much as you say. A lot of your anger comes from not listening enough and speaking too much. The writer of Proverbs says that where there's a lot of words, sin is not far behind. We need to listen. We need to make our words few and make them sweet because you might have to eat them. And we need to be slow to get angry. Jesus said in Luke 6.45 that the mouth reveals what's in the heart. He said, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the, out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, what? His mouth Speaks. J. Vernon McGee said it this way. You will bring up in the bucket of your mouth what is in the well of your heart. Amen? Amen. That's the principle. What's in your heart is going to come out your mouth. And we reveal what is in our heart by what we say. Then there's one more sin here that he adds kind of as a bonus in verse number 9. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. And I want to close with that vice, that sin of lying. Now let's talk about that. Why do we lie? And by the way, let me, let me, let me say this first. This specific term, lying in Greek, involves more than simply uh, telling what is not true. Because um, this could occur without an intent to deceive or mislead. This, this word for lie means an intention to deceive or to mislead. So, so we need to understand that. Why do we speak with an intention to deceive one another and to mislead one another? Why do we lie? To get what you want? What were you saying? To get out of trouble? You ever done that? This week? <laughs> yeah, we lie to get out of trouble. We lie to get what we want. 
We lie to, th to escape the consequences of what we did, right? <coughs> and Paul says here, don't lie. Lie not. Do not lie to one another. Why is it important to not lie? Ha! Ah, because it reveals your father. Or it re rejects the father in heaven. What did Jesus say? You lie because you're of your father, the devil. Yeah, and he said that to the religious people, and they really, they didn't see that as a warm fuzzy. They were not happy. Satan is the father of lies. That's really why you lie. He said, matter of fact, G, uh, John says that when, when Satan speaks a lie, he speaks his native tongue. I love that. He, that's, his, that's, his, that's his native language is a lie, a deception. He said, don't try to mislead and deceive someone by lying. Right? But we do. because We want to get out of trouble. We want to get our way. But Paul's saying, it doesn't fit you. Those grave clothes don't fit the believer. And it's not okay. And really, this verse number 9 was, was a direct attack against the, the, the heretics and these false teachers who were trying to worm their way into that church. They were purposely misleading these people. And some of what they were saying is, oh, don't worry about what you do. None of that matters. That all belongs to, to the flesh. You can just live how you want to and send it up. Uh, just make sure you go through these steps and eventually you'll get there. Don't worry about your outward sins, what comes out of your mouth and the, and, the, and the sexual impurity and immorality. None of that matters. God understands. And Paul is coming against this. He says, don't lie, don't mislead, and don't deceive each other. With my own children, my sons, um, we're walking through life together. These both of these young men are in, in uh, critical stages of their journey into manhood. And one of the things that I've had this talk with both of these, and even with Andy, my nephew, is, is that we get eyeball to eyeball. We talk about the nitty-gritty. And I say, look, here's the deal. How many times have I said this to you, Sam? I'm your, I am your greatest advocate and your best friend when it comes to getting through this stage of your life and getting through it with some integrity and character. But I am only as good to you as you are honest with me. And, and have I not told all three of you young men this here recently? If you lie to me, instead of cutting the sin out of your life, you cut the help out of your life. You cut me out. When you lie to me and deceive me and don't tell me the truth, when I ask you very specific questions, you cut me this, this man who wants to disciple you and shepherd you through this uncertain time of your life, you cut me out and you're left to your own devices. You cut out, you kill the shepherd, and you'll say as a sheep, I'll handle the wolf on my own. Tell me how that works out for you. So my agreement with them is look me in the eye, don't lie to me. I can handle anything you're going to tell me, but I cannot help you if you lie to me. Amen? We need to have those conversations, not just with the young men in our lives as God's put in our families. Look, we need to, men and women need to look each other in the eye and have those same kind of conversations. We need to have a commitment to the truth. I remember years ago, 
um, I preached a series through the Ten Commandments. And we had a family that was coming, beautiful little homeschool family, great people. And uh, their middle son, <laughs> he was a character. I think he's about nine years old, nine or ten. And I preached on, you should not bear false witness, which is in effect lying. And I went through that whole thing. And uh, uh, later that week, the dad called me and he said, well, my son repented of his sin and put his faith in Christ this week. I said, fantastic. How'd that happen? He said, well, we were home doing our, our family time together, talking about the sermon. And uh, I, I said to him, what'd you think of that sermon? And he burst out in tears and said, I'm obviously not a Christian because I love to lie. I lie all the time and it's what I do best. And Pastor Paul said that when we do that, that's just, that's just a, one of the number one signs that you're not a follower of Jesus and you got a dark and fallen heart and you need Christ. And he said, that's obviously me. And it was a fact that this kid knew he was a liar. The law that brought him to realize, I need someone to keep that law in my place. And all of a sudden, Jesus makes sense to him and God redeems his little heart. Amen? Don't lie. Don't purposely just be honest. Become a lover. That's my prayer for my kids. And, and I tell you, I, I pray that hard. God, teach these children that you've given me to love the truth no matter what it costs them. Tell the truth. Because when we tell the truth to one another and don't lie, we have each other to help us be accountable and walk us through. When we lie, we cut the helpers out of our life and you're on your own. Lying destroys trust and it violates truth and love. Isn't it true? When someone lies to you, do you ever find it's hard to, tr to believe them again? Isn't that tough? That's a hard thing. And he said, these are grave clothes. Get rid of them. This is nothing that needs to be in your life. And then there's the since. And that's that last part of that verse. Since. By the way, that's interesting. That's the same word for if at the beginning. If then you've been risen with Christ, it's the same exact word. Only here they translate it since. First class conditional if. Which, which assumes the, the reality of the, of, or the truth of the argument. Since then you've been risen with Christ, same thing here. Since, why, why do we not lie to each other? Why don't we wear these grave clothes? What does it say? Since you have put off, you have stripped off the old man and his deeds. You don't wear those grave clothes anymore. Those are the clothes the old you used to wear. Now you need to suit up in a new set of clothes. We're going to talk about that next week. Now we suit up. We don't live angry because we realize we're not the king of the universe and we're not to be worshipped. We stop making idols of people. We stop blowing up on people in wrath. We stop having this vicious character that is malice. We stop this running around and defaming people with our words. This slander, we don't, we don't have filthy communication, abusive speech coming out of our mouth. And we tell the truth. We don't lie. Why? Because all of those things look like who I used to be, not who I am in Christ. Right? I'm not who I was, and I'm not who I'm going to be one day. 
But all we need to be pressing towards who we are in Christ and stop living towards the dictates of an old man. And that's what he says. You've put off the old man and you put off his deeds with him. What are you doing wearing grave clothes to church? What are you doing walking around in your grave clothes? And I want you to have that picture of Jackson tearing out of the forest with yellow jackets in his pants, shoes, shoe. The other shoe was in the woods. <laughs> in his pants, shoe, and his shirt. And I want you to picture him running, screaming, ripping those clothes off because he knew if I can get those clothes off, I can get those stinging bees out of my life. And I want you to know that these sins of the mouth, sins of the heart and sins of the mouth, are grave clothes that will ultimately drag you back down to a grave. And they're not meant for you and I. We need to, we need to put that into practice today. I'm going to close with a quote from Spurgeon on this section of Scripture. Here's what he said. He said, put them all off like old clothes that are never to be worn again. Put off all of these, Spurgeon said. It is hard work for some to pull that garment off, for it fits them so tightly. Boy, isn't that the truth. This burning coat of wrath will not readily come off, but the apostle's command is, put it off, put it off. It does not become a Christian to be an angry man. Listen, listen to how he wraps us up. Christ will not live in a heart that harbors malice. Thank God that if we ever wore that robe, we pulled it off long ago. Let me remind you of this last truth. When he says to put off those things, it's in the aorist tense in the imperative. You got to do it. And he says the aorist means you make a decision and you get to it and you make sure this happens. It's a, you, you, just, you, just, you just make a final cut with sin. You make a final cut with using anger to control people around you so you can have a comfortable life because you're worshiping you, you're not worshiping God. You cut that stuff out of your life. You strip it off like, like infected grave clothes that they are. And you put on the robes of righteousness and learn how to walk in the power of the righteousness of the risen Christ, which we're going to talk about next week. Amen? Amen. So strip off these old grave clothes and refuse to live in them any longer. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today thanking you for the veracity, the truth of your word. Thanking you that, that we need to hear that. And we need to realize that when we do blow it, we need to go back. We need to repent to you and repent to those that we blow up on as, and, and then make a decisive decision to say, Lord, I, this is grave clothes. What am I wearing? This, this is not who I am and who I'm meant to be. Forgive me and empower me to love the truth, to be humble, to not demand that everyone around falls down and kisses my big toe and worships me. Matter of fact, let me be the humble one who serves everybody else. Lord, I pray that if they're, as we struggle with anger, the next time, it's probably going to be today before we even get home. And instead of, that, that when we are tempted to become angry, that we stop. And we hear your spirit say to us, that's the old you. That's not me. Those are grave clothes. Take them off. I pray that you do this for your honor and for your glory in our life, that, that Christ may be exalted 
and that we would, we would strip off all of these, anger, wrath, malice, uh, blasphemy or slander, and filthy language and abusive speech, and that we would cease our lying and learn to love the truth. Because that's who we are in Christ. May we be so full of Christ that He is what comes out of our mouth instead of our own anger. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing a, uh, our song of the month, and then we'll sing the doxology as we leave. This song is called Ancient of Days, and uh, it is our song for March. So uh, let us sing this song, and let's, let's consider. And by the way, you wrote down what the things that make you angry. You might want to expound on that list. And I would urge you to uh, get an accountability partner. If you're married or have a very close friend, if you've got kids that are old enough to think, ask them, what makes dad angry? They'll tell you. <laughs> ask, your, ask your husband, ladies. Dear, what, what makes me angry? What did you say, get a notebook? <laughs> ben said you better get a notebook. Because <laughs> he's so wise about being married at 13. But yeah, ask each other. Let's be accountable. Give each other permission. One of the best things my wife's ever done for me is that when I start to, she can, it's amazing, 34 years just about married, she's got, she can feel it before I even get there. And if she feels me starting that temperature gauge, and start, she'll just reach over wherever she is, she'll put a hand on my arm or on my leg, and that hand is just a reminder, you really want to go there? And is this going to end? Well, I cannot tell you how many times God has used her to wake me up to the fact that I'm, I was just about ready to act off of a dead man and not the living Christ who awakened me back in 1982. He is our ancient of days. Amen. Let's sing that song together.
what the future brings I will watch and wait for my Savior King then my joy complete standing face to face in the presence of the filtered through his hands you need it in order to make much of Christ you need that lady that's going to go 25 on 75 on the way home from church you need her she is ordained by almighty God you need that 13 year old child to get up in your face and be disrespectful even though that is a sin on him sorry Ben uh, you need that so he can see Jesus response and know that your, your concern is for his heart not his words amen because out of the heart speaks everything that makes you mad is an opportunity to make much of Christ and don't forget that don't forget it and may it cause us to flee to him this week amen let's sing that doxology today as we leave praise God from whom all blessings flow praise him all creatures here be Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost.